Hi, welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley-Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.org and just ask us. The length, while the greater the strength, the more time I've got for you. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence forever. The Penis Project podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by PROST, Exercise for Prostate Cancer, and the RS Health Penile Rehabilitation Program. PROST is a not-for-profit charity set up by myself in 2012 that aims to help men exercise during their experience with prostate cancer. If you want to know anything more about PROST, including our online service and USB product now available, please just go to prost.com.au. Hi, I'm Melissa Hadley-Barrett and I designed the Penile Rehabilitation Program to help men recover from prostate cancer. It's an online program built on decades worth of knowledge and experience and practice. It's the only one of its kind in the world and it actually works. So if you've been diagnosed with prostate cancer and want to get your penis working again as quickly as possible, and why wouldn't you, then visit penilerehabilitationprogram.com and you'll be off and running. And it only takes about 15 minutes a day. All the best with your recovery, which I promise will never be as bad as you think. November 11, 11am, 60 seconds, kids watch on the wall. In the pub, in the tab, in the cars, we remember... So welcome to the Penis Project podcast. Today we are here with Ross Lee, which we're very excited because Ross is about to go off and do the London Marathon this year and raise money for prostate cancer. So we're going to talk to him about his journey... And we're calling him Runner Ross because that's what he is. He's a runner. And then we're going to find out all about his prostate journey and why he's decided to do the London Marathon. And so welcome, Ross, and welcome, Joe. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Hello, and it's a great delight to see Ross again, who I actually haven't seen since the 16th of April 2021, just under two years ago. I thought I'd only seen you a year ago, but... Time goes by when you're having fun. I know, it goes <laughs> <In COVID>. too <laughs> So, Ross, tell us, like, your journey and your background. Okay, well, um, I guess my journey started back in 2018 when I was just on a routine visit with my GP and uh, had some, uh, just some standard bloods. And when the results came back, she told me that I'd got an elevated PSA which I didn't quite understand at the time, but she was kind of quite insistent that she felt I should get this checked out because it could be a flag, a red flag for prostate cancer. And I'm very thankful that Kirsty bullied and <laughs> cajoled me into... Who's Kirsty? The GP, Kirsty yeah, Hogan. Yeah, and she bullied and cajoled me into signing up with a urologist who and we then went through various stages MRI inconclusive and then an actual biopsy which identified there was 
what, what he called cells of concern at the time. So he didn't call it prostate cancer cells straight of out concern. of the mm. mm-hmm. And that was blogs. back in 2018, Back wasn't in it? 2018. So the recommendation was to keep it under observation, to carry out regular checks and see where things left. Excuse me, Runner Ross. We're looking at you. We can see you're a fit young bloke. <laughs> but how old were you in 2018? Uh, late 50s. I can't quite do the oh, maths. So English but skin. You don't get the sun damage we do. Uh, no fear of UV growing up in the northern hemisphere. So how, no. old, how old are you now, Ross? I'm, uh, I'll be 64 in April. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you'll be 64 when you do this London Marathon, won't you? Just before, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so then tell us. So you went, you watched and waited for a bit, didn't you? And then you were told that you probably should have got it out in 2020. Yeah, I guess I was in a little bit of denial. Um, I think I'd, I got an enlarged prostate. So I had some mild symptoms that afflict men of my age with an enlarged prostate. Um, but even those symptoms were pretty, pretty mild by all accounts. So I might occasionally need to get up and... And, and pee during the night once or twice a week. But other than that, I felt normal, I felt fine. And whilst it was a concern at the back of my mind, it didn't make me want to actively do something about it. Um, so I, I dragged my feet yeah. as much as I could, particularly when I started reading about the the literature and the case histories and it all seemed doom and gloom in terms of the collateral damage from having your prostate removed and it seemed pretty awful. So that put you off, didn't it? That hole that you might be incontinent and never get an erection again? Quite, yeah. And as a fit 58-year-old say, you know, you... Your symptoms that you had with maybe a little bit of slow flow are actually a normal part of ageing anyway. So there probably wasn't a great alarm going off for you, alarm bells, because it's not like you're in pain or many of our patients are very shocked that they have this diagnosis because it's a simple blood test. It's just, oh, there's a, a number that's a bit high, but in all other aspects, you're living your life normally. Yeah, absolutely correct. That was me. Mm. So then what changed? What made you finally decide that, look, I have to take the plunge and actually get this out? Um, well, the, you know, the the urologist, and, and I did get a second opinion because, as I say, I was in denial, um, started to paint a picture. My wife's a doctor. She worked in medicine. She kind of, again, highlighted, you don't want to let this no. metastasize. You don't want to let this spread outside the prostate gland, it will be awful. Mm. And so you finally took the plunge and got it out in 2021, didn't you? Yeah. And there was a bit of a delay for that. Tell us about that. <laughs> um, yeah, I uh, I had a habit of kind of falling off my bike in a particular <laughs> way where I go flying over the top of the handlebars and landing pan- pancake flat. Like Eva Knievel? Yeah, mm. not deliberately though. But um, And then I kind of had a hemoneumothorax in other words I got cracked ribs punctured lung blood into my lung and that had to delay my operation uh, from the early part of uh, 2021 January back to to March and it was the 16th of 16th of March your operation 2021 yeah I think it was yeah actually could I just just take Mm. us back a step Mm, because I think the other thing that that did kind of um convince and and Mm. and if you like incentivize me to kind of take the plunge and go under the knife 
was seeing both of you. So um, my the urologist Richard Pemberton, who actually performed the operation, um, referred me to yourselves, and and that was really helpful because I started to understand. Yes, there was worst case scenarios, but even given those worst case scenarios, there was therapies and treatment and help available. Get to overcome the incontinence and the erection problems. Yeah. yeah. And you yeah. probably didn't feel so alone then. Correct, yeah. Mm. And th- the doom and gloom stories don't kind of balance this out in terms of, well, it may not happen, and if it does, there is still a way through it. I always think it's like, you know, if someone goes to a terrible restaurant, they tell all their mates, <laughs> but no one, like, not very often do you go, on bother to go and do a review about something when it's so great. So I always do the reviews when it's great, never when it's negative. <laughs> so do I. But yeah. I think most people don't. And so mm. I think, and it's, you know, like, I know when I worked as a midwife, it was the same. People would be scared of going into labour because they'd hear all the terrible stories, but most of them are great. So it's, that's why I think it's so excellent to have someone your age with such a good outcome <laughs> so that we can, like, give people hope, like, it's mm. not all bad. And people and hope is really important. And we mentioned Dr. Pemberton's name a lot on our podcast and initially we didn't really want to have uh, doctors' names, you know, uh, part of our c- conversation, but his name just keeps popping up. And the reason his patients do so well, I believe, is his preparation, preparation, preparation. So this was what my PhD focus was on because the time between the biopsy and the surgery should be six weeks to let the prostate settle. You actually did have that time frame in the end even though there'd been a bit of a delay. So the preparation time of one to two months-ish really lends itself to hopefully better outcomes. We, we do the prehabilitation before we have to even have the surgery. Then we don't have such a severe rehabilitation. So I'll let Melissa continue on mm. that question line. And it also, I think it really helped that you were naturally already fit. So And that's prehab before we go start the prehab, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, so you've always yeah. been really active, haven't you? You've always been an active guy. I don't know about always. <laughs> I mean, Tell us what you do. Times in my 30s <laughs> where I drank too much beer and not enough exercise. Mm. Um, no, uh, later on in like you know, as you get a little bit older and creaky, I, I kind of realised that I needed to to do more yoga. I'd always done a little bit of yoga and I, I didn't feel the need to go to the gym and throw weights around anymore, but I felt that yoga would help me in terms of my flexibility and my core strength and just keep a little bit of muscle tone going. Mm -hmm. So I was always, um, I say always, the last few years, I've been a big fan of yoga and I think certainly seeing Joe, I I then realised just what a good thing that was entering this pre-op process. And that was, we've actually done two podcasts on yoga Mm. um, because we we were trying to get more men to do yoga because 92% of the world's yoga participants are females. But you started, Ross, didn't you, when you were in your 20s, you started doing yoga. Yeah, and and yeah, throughout, you you might say I dabbled, I guess, the last six or eight years. I've done it on a consistent basis, doing it two, three times a week. You could actually um, be a yoga teacher yourself by now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, I do. Uh, I, I, I would advocate for it at any time of life, but right. particularly as you get older. 
So while we're talking about the fitness, you took up marathon running with your wife. Most people go and do dancing classes <laughs> or wine appreciation, <laughs> but you and your wife thought it was a good idea as a couple to take up marathon running. Yeah, I don't know whether I'd use the word we. My <laughs> wife thought it would be a good idea <laughs> if we took up long distance running and we, we started uh, training for a half this marathon. This could get very competitive. So that <laughs> was 12 years ago, wasn't Back it? Back 12 years ago and, um, you know, it. My wife um, became a little more keener than I did and she's <laughs> done, oh, maybe 20 marathons <gasps> in a time by now. And was she I a natural runner before? That's no, crazy. No, no, no. Um, we she was like in her... Four she was in her 50s when she started. 40s. Uh, yeah. <laughs> in her 40s. She's a lot younger than me. Okay. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, so we, we, we got into that kind of groove and, and we, you know, we enjoyed it and we had a little bit of social side to it. So... Um, I'd run probably four marathons up to up to the point where I had my uh, operation wow. and kind of thought I wouldn't be running another one. And whilst I had an excellent kind of outcome and recovery, um, I did find that going back to running was particularly challenging wow. because, um, you know, you, you, Joe, always say about building up your put pelvic floor so it can do the heavy heavy lifting after mm. your prostate's removed and running seemed counterintuitive to strengthening that pelvic in floor. In your mind or just in the way it was feeling? Uh, just in the way it was feeling mm, so okay. so it was a gradual build up and, um, and I'm happy to say I've got to the point now where I feel as though it's kind of back to normal. But it but has taken two years would you say? Yeah and the, <laughs> but the marathon will be a real challenge for me. So, so you haven't yeah. done one in the last two years but you did one I've recorded it just before you said you did the half marathon in Darlington. I did, yeah. Um, and, and, and I've done a half marathon since my surgery. And but how did that go? Um, really well, actually. Ooh. So. And how yeah. long after the surgery was that? Um, that was probably um, about a year ago. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was the it was the Busso half. So. And in the meantime, has your wife continued to run marathons, and you haven't, or? Uh, yes, yeah. She's done a couple in that okay. time, and but you yeah. never felt ready to do a full marathon. Is no, that what you're saying? and I'm not sure I do now. But anyway, <laughs> I'm committed, so there we go. So let's talk. Finish off your prostate story, and then we'll talk more about the marathon you're going to do. So you ended up having your surgery, and if I remember correctly, the surgeon told you you were lucky you got it because it was close to going outside. Is that correct? Yeah, the biopsy afterwards you know he kind of gave me a look and said yeah I think I think in another month or two we might be ha we might have had a different conversation yeah and so nearly two years down the track your PSA is great isn't it yeah I I don't get officially signed off until next month I think because I think it's a two-year protocol isn't undetectable. it undetectable mm -hmm. yeah and Continence-wise, you were dry how quickly after? Tell us. I know you feel guilty about this, but we want people to know that you can be nearly 64 and still have great outcomes. So how quickly were you dry? Yeah, three three or four days I stopped wearing pads. Um, Did you ever leak into the pads? Yeah, a little bit. And, and, and I had uh, one or two kind of major kind of incidents because I was determined not to kind of pussyfoot around it um, when I came out of hospital. I, I had to wear a catheter bag and catheter. Mm. The, the, the nurse said, oh, maybe you want to get some baggy tracksuit bottoms. And I'm thinking, well, the good old cargo pants, pretty, pretty <laughs> hot pockets. still in March. And mm. so I just wore shorts and people said, oh, what's that poking <laughs> out? Brand yard? It's a catheter bag. And and also with the continents, I thought, well, 
what's the worst that's going to happen? I have to just suddenly excuse myself and go home and change. So I, I, I drank, drank lots of water and took risks so I could just test and train myself to, to, get, to regain that control of, of the bladder function. And I'd like to actually share your notes from that first day post-op. This was on the 31st of March, so we're talking 15 calendar days. I'd said you had to reschedule your appointment because of your bike crash. <laughs> and then you were doing much better than expected. You were poshing around, walking the dog, having resting intervals through the day. Your bladder was full, there was no leakage, and you had a feeling of it feeling solid, which was different sensation to a normal urge. You were not wearing any pads at night. You were only wearing a tiny little shield, being unaware of any leakage, and trying at home with no pad. So at night you had any, you'd even had a beer. You'd even resumed your coffee to two shots a day <laughs> and you were getting up once a night. So that's exactly how you were on what I call the first day post-op that I could possibly see you always one week after the catheter comes out. Patients like you I call eureka patients. That means if I see you on the first day officially post-op, that is the two-week mark, eureka is a very big phrase in Australian history for a triumphant historical thing that happened so you, my friend Ross, runner Ross, are a Eureka patient. <laughs> Thank you. And then from my perspective, the next time I saw you was a month post-op. So th- was that the first time or? I'd seen him pre-op because we'd good. chatted all yeah. about what, what to expect. And mm. then I'd given you the doom and gloom that things might not return back until now, really, two years post-op. And it was surprising, wasn't it? So what did you, when did you discover that it actually still worked with a tablet down there? Um... I can't remember precisely. I can remember it's in your notes. <laughs> yeah. It said at two weeks you'd already had orgasms through self-stimulation effective and we were discussing the potential of retrograde ejaculation. So within one week of the catheter coming out, you were being playful. Yeah, I, th- I, 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 was, I was lucky to get some kind of sense and feeling back. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I, 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 I did some of the things that you recommended in terms of the penis pump and trying to um, keep that stimulation exercise going. Um, and things just seemed to fall into place, yeah. Yeah, they did. They were like – and so very soon on, like within a month or two post-op tablets, like the, the tablets were working for you, even though you were quite open to the idea of trying injections if you ever needed them down the track. So <laughs> I think that's often the what I see is when people are like not as bothered, it's like – I don't know if about manifesting, but it's almost like they the manifest, they're not yeah, anxious about it and things seem to work better. So it well, seems to well. that's actually really critical in terms of the pelvic floor because if your pelvic floor is relaxed, it can get better contraction, relaxation mm. and blood flow like a, like a gateway. But if you're tight and tense, it's locked in and you can't get that natural blood flow. Yeah. Mm. So it's people who have a tight pelvic floor naturally might not leak very much, but they struggle a bit more with the sexual function. Yeah. So we, we want that pelvic floor to be mobile and strong. Mm. And yours obviously was long, long, long before we met you. And definitely pre-op function affects your long-term outcomes from my perspective, mm. from sexual function. And, you know, someone who's been fit, they're not overweight, they've been doing yoga and getting lots of blood flow and that is going to be way healthier. Can I just there. also say, uh, totally correct, Melissa, at the four-week mark when you saw him, I've written notes that you'd return to yoga that you'd return to doing daily jogs three to five kilometres. You'd had a slight bit of leakage just after a bowel motion once, just a tiny few drops. Your rectile function was good, just needs to work out a little bit more than how it was preoperatively and Cialis is 
exactly the five milligram. Yes. So that was at the four week mark post op. So mm. Eureka, Eureka. <laughs> yeah, you're doing great. Mm. So was there anything else really that you wanted to say about that, Ross, before we move on to talk about how you're coming to do the the marathon and what your like messages are to other guys? No, I don't think so. I mean, I'm I'm glad of the opportunity just to just definitely you say tell tell a good story because I don't think there's a balance currently in the in in the literature and sure. the case histories out there. Um, I think I'm 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 thankful and I think I was fortunate, but I also like to think that I made some of my own luck by taking advice, doing the right things and preparing and just really getting to grips with the situation. It's it's an awful thing and you you know, you wouldn't want it, but people go through worse mm. and I think you've just got to man up and address it and take the advice and do what you need to do and not f- and try and I know it's difficult and I'm and I'm probably blessed with the kind of personality as my wife will kind of look at me and eye roll <laughs> that means I'm a little less um you know conscious of what other people think yeah obviously because you didn't care about having a catheter bag hanging out your no, shorts yeah but I, I, but I think you need that attitude and 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 that can help I think support a successful outcome as well I agree. And also I think, you know, if someone sees you walking around with a catheter bag and then says to you, hey, what's that? And you say, oh, I've had prostate cancer, I've got it out, but you still look like a fit, well, healthy guy. Mm -hmm. That's kind of great, isn't it? They might be the sort of guy who's like, oh, I need to get mine checked, but I haven't. But he's okay. I can do that now. So that's like kind of empowering for other people. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So now tell us, now it's time, like you're at on the other side of the hill of your journey and you want to give back and so your crazy way of giving back is you're going to go and do this 42k marathon in london don't ask me to do that with you this year melissa <laughs> no. i did the bike ride i'm not doing a marathon <laughs> <laughs> and um so why that ride and how did you get to do it and tell us about that oh uh, well run, i mean sorry yeah because it was something as i said that i've done done previously and and i guess this would be almost like a final Final endorsement, a final signal to say, yeah, you're kind of back to where you were. Yeah, cool. And and it's always been an ambition to run the London one. I don't know whether you're aware, but it's kind of amazingly difficult to to get a place in in London. And I was I was I fortunate. Why they rejected enough, me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was fortunate enough to kind of contact uh, Prostate Cancer UK mm. and and have them kind of sponsor me and offer me. Uh, you just kind place. of have gotten them to sponsor. You just kind of <laughs> well, <laughs> well, well. They're not sponsoring me. I'm, I'm, I'm looking to raise some funds for them. Yeah. But and and I think that's important because they they're very much at the forefront of research. Yeah. Um, which benefits us all. But also, you know, I, I also want to do something for the men in WA. Mm. So I've made contact with Ken from PCA Help. Ken Bizarre. We've had him, I guess, mm. on our interview I'll, uh, on our podcast. Yeah, and 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 Ken runs this not-for-profit organisation, which does a does great work in terms of boots on the ground stuff, helping men and their families come to terms with prostate cancer. So I set up a GoFundMe page, and I shall be looking to raise funds that will be split between Ken's PCA Help organisation oh, and Prostate Cancer. And I was UK. talking to him on the drive here today. Just. Yeah. 
about his next talk. So he's a legend. Mm. So I think that's great because I think it's nice. Often when we donate money to things, we're worried about where it's going to go. Like, is it all going to go into admin? And I think that split is excellent because PCA help is like directly back to helping the local guys. Sure. But the PCA UK, all of our medical professionals learn from the research they do and they're an amazing organisation. So that helps us all as well anyway, you know, so it's a, it's a win-win. Yeah, it feels like the right kind of balance, a nice balance. Yeah. yeah. Now, I think you've been a little bit kind of um, humble. humble about how you get <laughs> humble, in. Humble. So for anyone who doesn't know, I didn't know this, but 40,000 people run in the London Marathon every year and they have, you have to apply to do it and for every one person who gets to run, 20 have applied. So it's not that easy to get picked. That's a lot of people that want to run 42Ks and put themselves through torture. It's quite fascinating to me that that many people <laughs> want to do it. Um, and so they have places you were explaining to me. So uh, some places are for elite runners. Some places are for people who are, what's it called when you're older but you have a good time? Oh, good for age. <laughs> <laughs> good for age. Yeah, so yeah. it goes off age bands and if you, if you perform well for your age, then... Yeah you might get a preferential Good place. And then there's um, like people like Prostate Cancer UK and other kind of charities can put in a runner and you're doing that, Ross. So, yeah. you know, it's not an easy thing to be. So you have been very humble about that. So I think it's a big undertaking and it's ap- apart from the fact that you're raising money for these things, it's all at your own cost, isn't it? And inconvenience, like all the training, getting there, doing everything, that's all your own under your own steam. Yes, yeah. I, as I say, I'm hoping to get something out of it personally in terms of this, yeah, this kind of validation to say, yeah, I can, I can run it. And, and then I am going to promise myself I'm never going to go near the starting line of a marathon again. I bet you do. <laughs> it's like Your wife see. is going to drag you. Mm. Well, Emma, Emma, Emma will probably carry on running marathons, So, uh, but I, I've supported her in the past and so I can support her again. Maybe you need to lines. convince her to take up ballroom dancing or something <laughs> as a couple's what do you, thing. What would you do? Oh, does she do yoga? Um, no, she's not so much of a yoga person, but, um, it's a good, no, it's a good, um, therapy pre and post marathons. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm still thinking fine wine appreciation. Yeah, yeah. That sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So as a takeaway, Ross, like I just, my roundup would be that if you're out there and you're just diagnosed and you haven't had treatment, even if you're in your sixties, it doesn't have to be all doom and gloom and please listen to Ross and it can be good. And Secondly, the fitter and healthier you are all over, the better your outcomes are going to be. And what about you? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I waited too long. As I said, I was in, I was in denial. Uh, I didn't feel ill. And I got away with it, but I might not have done. Yeah. And from what I understand, if the prostate cancer metastasizes outside of the gland, then... A, your, your, your chances of uh, sexual function recovery diminish to no, almost nothing. And also you could be then in for a long and painful decline. Yeah, that's right. And you would have had very different treatments and not certainly not feel like you do now. No. So it was great that you did. So if anybody would like to donate um, to the this run, there'll be a GoFundMe link at the end of this podcast in the show notes and we'll also send it out in the email with this and I think it's a great thing to support. So anyone who'd like to support it, Ross would appreciate it and I'm sure all those other men out there with prostate cancer would definitely appreciate it as well. Absolutely. Now, I've actually just looked, for those who'd like to listen, because Ken Bazant 
uh, has a podcast episode um, 80. It's a really good story and we've actually called it um, Meet Ken, a giant in prostate cancer survivorship. I'm actually just going to change it to Meet Ken Bazant. So it's got his full name in it, a giant in prostate cancer survivorship introducing PCA help because we wouldn't have that tagged in our title Mm -hmm. and that way people can listen to what PCA help is all about because uh, Ross, sorry, Ken actually runs a support group within the Prostate Cancer Foundation of Australia called the Western Suburbs Support Group but he, like me, wanted to offer something other than what the PCFA organisation does as strictly what is recommended. Mine is the exercise program, his is the education support program. We often try and link together but... The fact that you want to take PCA help to the UK is such a big thing for Ken. So we know we have lots of UK listeners. Melissa, did you tell me that the uh, Prostate Cancer Nurses or Foundation actually recommend our podcast for their... Yeah, so I've had a few people contact me from the UK to um, be patients. They wanted to have Zoom consults. When I asked them how they found out about me, it was because the uh, Prostate Cancer UK recommend the Penis Project podcast for right. newly diagnosed people and then they listened. So, yeah. Wow. So that's exciting. So the world gets smaller. Um, you look so healthy. It's a shame we haven't got a visual of this, but you're glowing. You're glowing the first time I met you. You actually look younger than the first time I met you. Oh, that's very kind. Must be all that yoga. How, how much is this going to cost me? <laughs> no. so but sometimes you get a chance to also re-evaluate what's happening in your life. I, I've just had one patient decide he's going to be a deputy principal instead of the principal. So he's going back to work for the next eight weeks. He's told his deputy that he's now the principal and he's the deputy. Then he's got 18 months long service leave and that's his end of his career. Many men actually use this as a positive to reset what they might have not put their priorities into prior to a diagnosis. So I often find it's a positive story. Mm. Do you have any comment on that from a psychological kind of life planning perspective as a, as a man with prostate cancer? Um, to be honest, probably not because I, I was a, I was a, a late one. father <laughs> and so I've still got a 17-year-old which is, uh, which as people might uh, know and remember can kind of dictate your life a little bit. Yes. <laughs> Um, but no, I, I use the word thankful. Um, it's not something you, you can live without. You can live without encountering prostate cancer, but I'm thankful that I've had the support, the people that I've met and the advice that I was given and eventually took. So, Mm. and, and I think all men deserve those opportunities and those encouragement and that encouragement to take the advice and avoid this awful disease. Yeah, I agree. And I just think prevention is definitely better than cure or early early treatment is great. Yeah. So thank you both so much for coming today. I really appreciate it. And we look forward to – we'd love to interview you again, Ross, after the marathon and you can tell us if you really aren't going to do it again or whether it's fired you up. Yeah, okay. And don't ask us to join you. But I don't mind being the, the runner girl. No. <laughs> All right. And also we're whilst on the day of the marathon, which is the 23rd of April, we will make sure we post on um, the socials some pictures that, Ken will, uh, that Ross will send us and we'll pop them all on there so you'll be able to see. 
Well, thanks to uh, technology these days, I, I'll, I'll let you know my race number and oh, you do. you can follow me around. Oh, and that's right. We can yeah. now. Oh, wow. Yeah, and, uh, and make sure I don't take, uh, you know, 15 minutes out for a quick coffee or a beer. Um, <laughs> um, that's so exciting. Now, while we've been talking, I've actually looked up the true definition of Eureka. Aside from what happened in Australia, there must have reason, been a reason why Eureka was a good word. Because you're going to say it when you hold up that mantle when you win the London Marathon. <laughs> <laughs> it says, supposedly Archimedes was so thrilled and excited with his discovery about water and buoyancy that he immediately hopped out of the bath and ran onto the streets to tell the king, shouting loudly, Eureka, Eureka, I have found it, I have found it, in delight. So when you cross that thing, you're going to go, Eureka, I have found Maybe not. <laughs> what do you think of that? What a story. Yeah. Um, I think I think if, I, if and when, let's be positive, yeah. when I cross the line, <laughs> I'll be thinking, give me a beer. <laughs> and your goal is to cross it in under how many hours? Well, um, I'm not – I was never a fast runner. And so um, – you know, I'd, I'd, I'd see anything under five hours is great. Mm. If it was near a four and a half, that would be fantastic. Excellent. And can I just ask you what your pra- your past marathon was? Because it would be nice just to beat that time even. Your last marathon, do you remember? Just over four and a half. Just over four and a half. Yeah. And do you do a lot of training right now? Is it massive? I'm trying to, but it's pretty warm. Yeah. And, uh, I'm, and I'm not the best at getting up and out okay. at 7, 7 a.m., which I should. So, um, yeah, I'm trying to do, ooh, let me see, round about 45 kilometres a week at the moment. Wow. And just to make sure that we've covered all bases, any impact on the erect, sorry, so the continence function with running, any leakage, any concerns? No, not anymore. I I've, I now don't have to look at a course and think, where are the toilets? Sure, yeah. And, uh, and when I ran the half marathon a year ago at, at Busso, I I got round out and back without needing to stop and, Wonderful. Y- and use the toilet. So and so that you've was got a full bladder, I mean, good bladder capacity, no leakage, running marathons um, within a year of the surge. Two years. So you did a half marathon within, within one a year. Within a year, yeah. Two, yeah. yeah. Wow. I, would, I, I would say I was back to yeah. how I used to be by then. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Well, I think everyone should be aspire to be like you, even if they haven't had their prostate. Thank you, Rana Ross. <laughs> Thank you both. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's been a pleasure to come on. Thank you. I'm gonna tell you about a boy who lives inside me. He's been there all of my life. Hi, I'm Melissa, and I hope you enjoyed the podcast this week. Just a reminder, if you've been diagnosed with prostate cancer, I've built a penile rehabilitation program just for you. It's an online program packed with information, exercises and advice, along with proven strategies that will get your penis back in working order as quickly as possible in about 15 minutes a day. If you like the sound of that, then please head over to penilerehabilitationprogram.com and you can start straight away. Or there's a link from the RS Health website. We would also love you to review and subscribe and share this podcast so we can help more men. Links to Instagram and Facebook are in the show notes. We look forward to seeing you there. So spread the word that help is available. All the best for now. Bye. I've got a boy of my own now It fills me with pride To see him growing so fast into a man
victories become mine. I'll cry his tears.